The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. But first, I'm joined in studio by the leader of the Social Democrats on TD for Cork uh, Southwest, Holly Kearns. Holly Kearns, good morning and welcome. Thank you. Now, uh, we have many things to talk about, but uh, let's talk about government first of all, because uh, if you are to be a party of government, you will be coalescing with uh, any number of other parties. Do you have bottom lines? We have a lot of red lines, I think, for any talks for a formation of government, um, from Slauncha Care to the ratification of the optional protocol on the rights of people with disabilities, crucially to the approach the next government will take on housing. Um, and there's there's quite a few more, but they would be the key ones that spring to mind, Pat. All right. Now, if you are, and irrespective of your ambitions, I suspect you won't be a huge party after the next election. So you would be a tail uh, attempting to wag a dog of many parts. Yeah, and that's why, you know, at this time, as the, the new leader of the party, my main focus is to try and you know, build as much as possible towards the next election because it's the arithmetic of the next all that makes up how much of an influence we could potentially have on the next government. So that is our our sole focus at the moment to really try and build and I think reach the potential that we have as a party. Um, So we have our conference coming up on Friday and Saturday. We're standing local election candidates all around the country. Many of the the areas we're standing them in, it's the first time we've ever stood uh, a Social Democrats candidate. And I think it, at this time, I think like I can feel it, you can feel it, we can all feel it. The tide is kind of turning in Irish politics for the first time ever. We may not have a government led by either Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael. And that in and of itself is seismic. Mm. So this is our chance to put the Social Democrats on the ballot to give people that option because I think it's now and over the next couple of months even, whenever the general election is called as well, people start saying, what kind of change do we want? And I think a lot of the stuff that we will fight for, things like Slauncher Care, like rights for people with disabilities, climate action are things that are really, really important to people. So I think people are starting to weigh all up all of their options and it's our job to offer as many people as possible the option to vote Social Democrats. Now, you talk about red lines. Are any of the uh, existing parties, be they Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, uh, the Labour Party, Sinn Féin, uh, People Before Profit, are any of them red lines for you? Or would you coalesce with any of them? We would talk to everybody and I think that's a, a really important thing to do. Yeah, we would absolutely talk to every party. Uh, you mentioned climate action. Now, the Greens are in the doldrum somewhat and uh, in party leader terms, Eamon Ryan is, I think, only at 20% and you're far above him in popularity. Um, the Green agenda might be your Achilles heel then if you're pushing for climate action, the kind of climate action in rural Ireland which they don't want. They want to drive their cars. They want to be able to raise their cattle. They want to produce their beef, their milk. I understand what you're saying, but I have to say sometimes I think as well, um, one of my bugbears is the kind of presumptions about us down in rural Ireland. Just because we live in a rural area doesn't mean that we can't. Well, it's where our agriculture is centred. Absolutely. I grew and up, it's I grew also up. where people live remotely and they need their cars. There's no bus at the end of the lane. 100%. I, I grew up on a, on a small farm in West Cork. I, I still live there now and I completely understand that. The thing is that just because we, we live there and work in those areas doesn't mean that we don't understand the facts and the threat of climate change. And, you know, particularly from an agricultural perspective, no industry would be more affected by climate change. The fact of the matter is, is that we need climate action to be fair and to be thought through. So what we've seen from government after government is literally walking farmers, farming communities to a cliff edge, waiting until the last minute, for example, with the nitrates derogation coming in. What we need is a plan in place. How do we become, because Ireland, Pat, as you know, has always been so proud of our agriculture sector. 
we've led the way in so many ways in terms of agriculture. And I think that the focus from this government now, although it's not, should be on how does Ireland become the most sustainable agricultural sector in the world, the country that people look to and go, that's how it's done in the face of changing yeah. climates. And instead, it's kind of a, what, are, what option are we left with other than saying, look, we have to keep our car. It's like saying, you need to get rid of your car. Well, how am I supposed to get to work, to school? To exactly. It's about putting things in place. So I think people in rural Ireland understand the need for climate action. It's how do we do that? And that's the important thing. You see, we have a particular climate which it's not going to cause droughts here. It may cause flooding and storms and so on, which may uh, affect agriculture in many ways. Uh, some of the grain crops can be destroyed by, by excessive rain and so on. But the reality is that, you know, we are producing our beef probably in a more sustainable way than other countries are. And if we give up our market share, there'll be others who will produce those uh, products in a much less sustainable way. And you'd be saying more fool us. Yeah. And traditionally, our, our beef sector is much less intensively stocked than our dairy sector. So it's not, you know, in terms of emissions, it's not the sector that we're most kind of concerned about in terms of the change coming but in, down the in line. But in terms of dairy, I mean, someone else will pick up the slack. If we stop. Not necessarily. That is something that is frequently said. But the reality is, Pat, that constantly, like in terms of the dairy groups here, they're trying to create new markets in countries where there isn't really a market for dairy. So they're trying to grow, for example, the so-called growing Asian pizza industry, things like this. So it's, it's a market that's constantly looking for new markets and then claiming that they need to produce more to feed the world. Right. It's not really based in reality. And when you're farming and... It, you know, the, the sector has intensified significantly, you know, in my lifetime. Farmers aren't really left with any choice but to want to produce more. And it's not as if farmers get up in the morning and say, I'd love as many cattle as possible on this land. I'd love to release as many emissions as possible. And while I'm at it, I'd love to try and destroy all of the biodiversity around me. Not at all. The way we farm is directly incentivised by government policy. What has government policy told us to do for the last 30, 40 years? Intensify. That's the only way you can make ends meet. And you say droughts and stuff like that. Yeah, but the, the market forces are, what, what's the will. price? What's the price you get for your products? Who makes the money? And how can a small government actually uh, tell Sainsbury's or Tesco or whatever, you've got to give our farmers more when there's somebody else going to provide it to Tesco's and Sainsbury's for much less? You talk about the price and the thing that we need to take... Well, into that's what they need to, yes, to yes, sustain themselves. But the thing that we need to take into consideration is the cost of not taking action because our soil quality is degrading, our ability to produce food in the amazing way that we can as a country is jeopardised by this. You know, there, there are other factors in relation to climate change. And ultimately, if we break this down, where does Ireland want to be in the face of these changing climates? Because mm. we need to kind of face up to the reality. Yeah. And we you, need you, to be you, more food secure, Pat. You, and just sure. focusing on beef and dairy isn't going to make us a secure country in those terms. So we need to think this through. We need to create new markets and we need to make it sustainable for people working in the sector. And crucially, at the moment, you'll see the generational renewal, like young people don't want to take on farms because what is the future? I don't think the government really inspire that in our younger generations. And I think that's something that yeah, needs to be looked at. What it, is the it future is of all about price though, isn't it? And it's all about the common agricultural policy because we're not going to get more money from Europe while other countries are clamouring for money, maybe for grapes or whatever other crops are there. So, so we are, we have to do what we do 
best. Isn't that the only resolution we have to provide good incomes for farmers? But we don't just do dairy vests. There's so much more that we can do as a country. And I think that that's something we really need to look at. Because Why do we import potatoes markets, and carrots and uh, onions? Precisely. And over, I think 80% of our potatoes come in from the UK. And then we say that we wouldn't be able to create a market for something else. We could create a domestic market for things like potato, for more horticulture. The amount of grain that we're importing for our cattle to eat... We used to grow that in the tillage sector. And now what's happening? Land for tillage is being completely outpriced by people who are renting land for dairy. The whole system is eating itself up and it's really designed to fail when you zoom out and look at the situation. There's only so much longer we can continue with this basically policy that is failing farmers so, and rural communities. And you, what's happened? Because just to outline this really to your listeners, Pat, we hear this narrative that any any change towards a more sustainable model would be the destruction of Irish agriculture. I remember seeing ministers saying things like no, that before no, the, I went the, into the politics. IFA, in fairness the to them, they say that they are on target to, to, to meet their uh, emissions demands by 2030. They're on target, they're working towards it. And they complain that other sectors are not doing their bit. Every sector needs to do their bit. Absolutely, I would agree with them on that particular issue. But Pat, the reality is that the narrative that this intensification is the thing that farmers need, want the only thing that's good for the sector. There, it has seen the decimation of a lot of small farms in Ireland. You know, the average size of farm used to be 30 acres. And going forward, that is the most sustainable way to produce more food is on, on smaller holdings with, you know, not this intensive model. And crucially... But again, it's net down to price. What are people prepared to pay? As long as you've got potatoes coming in from Cyprus and Egypt and other places. But we're not taking into account... On price, you're not going to be able to compete. We're not taking into account the carbon footprint of that. You know, when we talk about... But that has to be priced in. If we're, if we're going to do it, then e- the EU the has got to say, well, if a potato moves from Egypt to Ireland, you've got to add, you know, 20 cent per potato to cover the carbon. And they're not doing that. And there's no sign of them doing that. And then what we see is Ireland trying to create markets again for more dairy instead of trying to create markets for Irish food production outside of dairy. At a price. The price of production, you see. But when you ramp up economies of scale, Pat, in a country where we have really like a good climate, we've got good soil, we've got good conditions for growing food in this country. So if we, you know, kind of develop a sector the economy of scales increase and therefore the cost can come down. Of course, if you just have one field, you don't have the machinery. There's a co-op set up for, for all sorts of things. You know, if you're in dairy or beef, there's kind of structures in place. There isn't things in place to produce more okay. in the way of other kinds anyway, of Anyway, I didn't intend to go down the green agenda so much, but it, given that it's one of your pillars in terms of what you would demand from uh, an incoming government were you to be part of it. Um, housing is something that you've spoken about a lot. How would the Social Democrats do housing differently to what's been done at the moment? So at the moment we're seeing, you know, a ramp up in the delivery of homes and that's really welcome, but it's kind of crucial to to note what type of delivery we're seeing. And the vast majority of that delivery is coming through the private sector, which has a really important role to play, of course, in the delivery of homes. But crucially, we have an affordability crisis. So in government, our laser focus in terms of housing, housing would be the delivery of affordable purchase homes. That is the figure that's that the subsidy, government isn't it? have consistently missed. That's a subsidy, though. That, that it means that the government, the taxpayer, is paying towards the contribution of actually building homes, be they apartments or be they houses. They cost so much. And bricks and mortar and windows and slates and uh, all the rest of it, they cost so much. And everyone deserves to make a small profit on their labours. So we know what it costs to build a house. So if you're going to make it affordable, somebody's got to be subsidising and that means the taxpayer. Well, the not-for-profit housing associations are are doing a lot of work in this area. And in other countries, you'll find that they produce 
a large amount of the homes that are delivered and they're in the countries where there is the most stable housing market and rental market. So I think that is what we need to be aspiring to. And there's really effective models of that in Ireland already. Okay. Like Sophia Coulon model. Where do you say? Coulon is, I, I'm blue in the face people quoting Coulon at me. Yeah. I mean, it seems to be the only one that seems to be doing anything according to all the commentators and all the politicians. Uh, but to, to approach it but more... Pat, uh, if you if you look at what the Coulon model is doing, it is a really good solution to what we're facing in Ireland at the moment because... With like land said, provided free... Land provided and there, there isn't the, the safe the fees for connection you know I mean? fees and they're crucially there isn't a profit made as well. So all of that does bring down the price of homes. And if they were supported more by government instead of supporting the private sector to do it, then we could, you know, again, increase the economy of scale of those organisations to be able to deliver more homes. And at the moment as well, in terms of increasing the, the pace of that and the amount of them, in the early stage of the development of those uh, not-for-profit house association builds, they don't get support in that kind of early stage of the development in terms of planning and all of those parts of it. So if the government provided more support in those parts of the, the process, it could be delivered even more quickly. Would but you control the price of land? Like farmers selling land, for instance. Would you say you can only sell it at X because that will keep the price of the houses built on that land down? The price of agricultural land doesn't compare to the price of land that's owned for housing at the moment anyway, so I, I wouldn't be... No, but it, 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 no one's going to buy it until it's zoned. No one's going to buy agricultural land. Until it's zoned. If they're going to build houses on it, they're not going to buy... What The people who should be... The, the, the outfits that should be buying land that could be future zoned for housing is the local authorities. You know, that's really and truly what you see again... So in the, in what they should do is buy agricultural land and then rezone it. Land that could be used in kind of... Yeah, the, the local authority should be looking at land that they should be acquiring for future builds. Absolutely, because we need to ramp up the delivery of housing that is provided by the local authorities as well. But the thing is, Pat, like, th- we, we have to focus on the delivery of affordable homes because people, like, it's, there's a whole generation who are locked out of, like, being able to build a life here. And we've seen it last year, you know, 21,000 visas for Australia. And it's really reminiscent for me, I think, of I finished school in 2008 and everybody was moving abroad. My sister still lives abroad in New Zealand. My nephew was born there. We're seeing this again. And look, housing is not just about yeah. an investment um, vehicle. It's, Tom, Tom it has been a good on. Society. He says, why does the opposition never speak of me and my demographic, a first time buyer who saved a deposit and wants to buy a house? It's always social and affordable. In other words, he's saying, I want to stand on my own two feet. But affordable purchase homes are for exactly your listener, you know, that they'd be delivered at a rate that is actually affordable for people on average incomes and, and amazing if you if you, he saved up yeah. a, a, a deposit because we know how difficult it is when you're renting at the moment. Since this government took office, rent prices have gone up over 4,000 a year and we know how hard people have to work to earn an extra 4,000 a year. House prices have gone up 70,000 since this government took office yeah. and child homelessness has gone up 55%. So Pat, we have to focus on the delivery of affordable purchase homes. I, I mean, there's another argument that says that local authorities should do what they used to do, which is build uh, homes for people and rent them. And they're lifetime rentals. There's no, they're not going to be thrown out. And In fact, I mean, they made the mistakes over the years of selling off local mm. authority stock. Uh, so you have tenant purchase, which is supposed to give stability to, to neighbourhoods and so on. But they end up having, selling off cheap and having to build expensively. What is your philosophy on that? Yeah, I think we need to deliver more state-owned homes and, and, and keep them. And look, the, the part of the problem is as well that in the local authorities, a lot of the, the kind of skills 
and experience in the housing departments that used to do that, the, the direct bills and all that, have kind of dwindled and we need to rebuild that and be realistic about that that will take some time. That will take some yeah. time. Now, you've been very vocal on Gaza. You must be encouraged by the letter uh, sent by the Taoiseach and by the Prime Minister of Spain uh, to get uh, Ursula von der Leyen and the Commission generally to look at the deal with Israel because if they're in violation of, of human rights, then that deal f- should fall. Absolutely, and it was back in November now, um, the Social Democrats brought forward a motion calling on the government to lobby at an EU level to suspend the EU-Israel trade agreement because, just to explain to your listeners, there is a human rights clause in that trade yeah. agreement. Ireland is EU is the EU's, or sorry, the Israel's biggest trading partner is the EU and I think it's very clear to many of us that they are, of course, in breach of the trade agreement. So, it's really welcome to see that the Taoiseach has gone ahead and done that. I have to say, I think it would have been welcome much earlier. I don't know uh, why it's taken so long, um, but it is really, really welcome. Well, Ireland was being uh, singled out by Israel as being almost rogue in its attitude uh, to them versus its attitude to, to Palestine. So maybe it took the Taoiseach a little while to get someone else to go along with them because it's better than being solitary. Ireland is really unique in this context and that's really important to acknowledge. You know, Western Europe have basically, and America, there's impunity for Israel's actions, essentially. There's been such a a sit-on-the-sidelines approach to this and I think given that Ireland was that unique voice, it actually makes it more important and more incumbent on Ireland to be very clear and strong on this. And I have to say, the government have, in their words, a condemnation on Israel been really strong and I think that is really mm. welcome. What we've been calling for to go with that is actions to match yeah. those strong um, words m- and meantime, I don't think we say, oh we're the only ones so we can't, yeah, we I, say I hear, we're the only ones so it's more I important. I hear quite muted criticism of Hamas though all the time. Do you know, it's, there tends to be one voice of criticism for Israel and justifiably so because what they've done is completely disproportionate but Hamas are still pegging rockets into Israel and they are still holding dozens and dozens of hostages. So I wouldn't say it's been mute. I think everybody has unequivocally condemned the actions of Hamas. I don't think there's been any equivocation on that in in the Dáil. And everybody knows that the attacks of October 7th were absolutely abhorrent. I think the thing is, is that we're looking now like, this has been going on for months, and at the moment we see 1.5 million people who were told to go to, a, to Rafah in Gaza for safety, airstrikes, two mornings ago, no warning. Like this, like it is an impending genocide and I completely agree with you that like Hamas, you know, their actions and the, and the rockets going into Israel 100%. But what we're talking about is an impending genocide in Gaza. And I think that's why you're hearing so much more from that angle. Okay. Uh, one last point before we uh, conclude, and that is um, the Labour Party, a merger, uh, and the differences between uh, yourselves. I mean, I'm not saying any two parties should merge. Why not Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, for instance? Uh, but, uh, you, you know, you've dismissed that out of hand. What's the difference between the Social Democrats and the Labour Party in policy terms? Not in personnel terms, in policy terms. Well, there's like differences between all parties in terms of tiny, intricate policy details. And I acknowledge that in terms of the Social Democrats and them, that we're, we're closer in terms of our policy positions. But there's no difference, really. There is some difference. And look, crucially, Pat, like we're a new party with new policies, not defined by old politics, old policies, old cosy business connections, jobs for the boys. Like this is a new, we, we need a new party, style of politics. The Labour Party has all of those? 
I think a lot of parties in Ireland are very No, I'm mean, asking about the Labour Party because that, that's the talk of the merger. I mean, whatever about the, the business parties and so on, the Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. But are you suggesting the Labour Party has an old boys network of business connections? No, boys network, like even after the general election, then there was no female TDs returned in the Labour Party. I think it's got a, like older parties and you see it in loads of institutions that there's kind of, uh, you know, it's it's hard to make change in, in there's always a kind of a, an institutional aversion to change. And sometimes, you know, we can't really wait for those kind of changes when we're talking about, I don't think you can govern a society that promotes things like equality and all these things if it doesn't exist within your own party. And I think that's crucial. Holly Kearns, leader of the Social Democrats and TD for Cork Southwest. Thank you very much for joining us in the studio and the best of luck with your uh, forthcoming party conference. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.